Do y'all know what a pain threshold is? So that's like, like, what is your pain threshold? What's your tolerance for pain? Um, so this, this is week 76 of this long series in Luke. I'm, I'm not implying that maybe we've reached your threshold of pain with how long the series is. But today we're going to be talking about Jesus on the cross. And so, like, you know, the idea of pain, like there's, there's pain all over the place. Um, there's physical pain. Uh, don't raise your hand, but how many of you, like on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 would be like, I have a very low threshold of pain. And then 10 would be like, you could, you could run over me with a car and I'd be like, what? Right? Like, um, I don't know where you would fall on that. Some people, very low threshold of pain, right? Like they get a sore throat. Now, they're the worst. Sore throats are terrible. But, like, if you get a sore throat and, and then they're just like, if you listen to me, I swear that they were, like, they're getting their arm amputated, right? You're like, what's wrong? My throat hurts. Oh. oh that's it? You know, um, I, we don't have time to show it. I don't know if this would be the best place to show it, but I love Brian Regan. Great comedian. He's funny. Um, you should, it would be worth it just to Google Brian Regan emergency room. He's got like a six-minute bit on emergency rooms, and he just talks about like having to rate his pain on a scale, you know, that whole, how would you rate your pain? And like he's trying to figure out like what do you rate your pain? And, and so he finally figures eight's the best thing. So he's like, say eight, say eight, you know, because it gets you the best meds. Anyway, whatever. It's got nothing to do with this except pain. Don't look at me like that. Be, be nice. You know how my mind is. Anyway. I'm not even supposed to be up here. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. So pain, right? Like here's the thing. All of us have pain in common. Do you know that? Everybody in this room at some point is going to experience pain. And we're just talking about physical pain. But let's just talk about emotional pain, right? Um, how about just the concept of pain? Like how do you even, how do you do with that? How do you handle that in this world there is pain, there's a couple different approaches that people take. Here's one. Do you know people that get hard, they get hardened by pain, right? So you, you, get, you hurt them, and then what do they do? They build up a wall around their heart. No one shall ever hurt me again, right? We know people like that. Gosh, I hope you're not sitting next to somebody like that. But then there's other people that get focused by pain. Have you noticed that? People that, because of what they experience, it's like that experience helps them to see what life is really all about. They get super focused. They start organizations, right? Mad. Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Not a shock that that was started by a mother who was affected by drunk driving, right? See how that works? Some of you... Um, used to watch a show called America's Most Wanted, right? And that show came about because the host of that show had a child go missing. And because he had a child go missing, he started instituting laws and legislation about missing children. His pain created his calling. Some people get hard by pain. Some people find their calling through pain. We all have different reactions to pain, but what I want you to see is that all of us have a reaction to pain, right? I mean, if we don't react to pain, there's something wrong. Um, what is the movie with Adam Sandler? And he just poke his foot with the stoker, right? It's like it doesn't, it's just, it doesn't hurt him. Like if you can get hit and not experience pain, that means medically there's something wrong. So all of us are going to react to pain one way or the other. 
We can't stay the same. We cannot stay the same. So this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 23. We're going to be talking about Jesus on the cross. This is the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus. I would submit that this is the most painful season of his life. Now, I've never been crucified, right? But I know enough about what happened at the crucifixion to know that this is the most painful season of Jesus' life. And and he is going to do something in this passage that is so unexpected, it blew me away while I was preparing for this message. Do you like surprises? Maybe like, maybe not personally, but when you're watching a movie, do you like surprise endings? How many of you are the people here, you're like, you watch this mystery, right? And the whole time you're watching it, you're like telling the people you're watching, oh, I know how it's going to end. You, you had it figured out early on. You're like, the butler did it. The butler did it. I know it was the butler. And then like somewhere around 15 minutes before the movie's over, the butler gets killed. And they're like, oh, really? The butler did it? And you're like, eh. Like, who did Like, it's a twist you never saw coming. He finally, the butler's cousin did it. You know, it's crazy. Like, twist, and that's going to happen on the cross. Jesus is going to say something on the cross that is so uncommon, so unexpected, and so unforgettable. We're going to read it, and here's what it's going to happen. I I believe that we're going to see some highlights in here. So the the way we're going to do the whole message is read these verses. I'm going to highlight some stuff in the verses, and then at the end of those highlights, we're going to take all of that stuff, we're going to dump it into a big bucket, and we're going to stir it up, and out we're going to to pop out some, like, a couple takeaways, okay, for how we can also deal with pain the way Jesus did. All right, so here we go, Luke chapter 23, verse 44. This is the NIV. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Verse 47, the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man there named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, sorry, arithmetic. You just got to say it. Nobody knows how to say it anyway. And he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, going to Pilate, He asked for Jesus' body, and then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. And then they went home and prepared spices and perfume, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to his commandment. So listen, let's talk about some highlights, okay? So verse 44. And some of, these, some of these highlights, like there's no pressure, right? You don't have to be like, that was amazing. There's just things that as I'm studying, these just jumped out off, off the page to me. Some things that just jumped out of, the, out of the text. Here's the first one. Verse 44. It says that there were three hours of darkness. And, and if you go back to Exodus 10, I mean, we, if you're reading through the Bible with us this year, we've already read this part. The Exodus, when they, they left Egypt, and they were delivered out 
So that event was called the Passover, right? There's, he's like, put blood on the doors, and if I see the blood, then I'll pass over, and they won't die. But if there's no blood, somebody's going to die. Crazy story, right? So if you go back to Exodus chapter 10, the first Passover, here's what you'll find, that there were three days of darkness before that first Passover. And now here we are, Jesus is on the cross, and there's three hours of darkness. And we know from John 1.29 that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the Passover lamb. Just interesting to me. Three, three days of darkness and then three hours of darkness. Verse 45 says that the curtain was torn. Now listen, I know we all got curtains in our house, right? And they're like this thin. This was a big curtain, okay? Big curtain, and it was torn. And we know not from Luke, but we know from Matthew that it was torn from top to bottom. I just want to point that out to you. That's really important because it was torn in such a way that the only way it could have been torn would have been if God had pulled it apart, right? Oh, it was torn from bottom to top. Well, if, they, if it had been torn from the bottom to the top, then people could have always said, well, man did that, right? But it was done in such a way that it was God. I mean, God, it, he's the one that tore that veil that said, look, now everybody has access to my presence, because of what Jesus did on the cross. It reminded me of Ephesians chapter 2, really special chapter to us here at the gathering because this is a lot of where our core values came from as a church. You'll hear us say things like, we want you to be near God, near man. So that word near comes from Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus, Jesus is described here in verse 14. It says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, that's a different wall, right? So there's a veil in the holy of holies in the temple, and it gets torn in two from top to bottom. But there's also a wall, a real wall that divided Gentiles from Jews. And we can't relate to that today, right? So we would just say, like, it's, there's a wall that divides Tar Heels from Blue Devils, right? Like, we can relate to that. Um, Panthers from Cowboys, right? Like we, there's a wall. And what I want you to see is we're so good at building walls. And God is a, a wall-destroying God. He's a barrier-busting God, right? So like we talk about people that, how do you respond to pain? Well, I build a wall. And Jesus is like, bam, there's your wall, right? Like I'm coming through. I want to get people together, and we're so good about trying to keep people apart. And you just need to know that when, that when that curtain was torn from top to bottom, it was God saying, everybody, everybody say everybody. Everybody can step in. Everybody's got access. This isn't some secret club anymore. All of us can step through because that curtain was torn top to bottom. Verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. Just um, That's one of seven sayings that Jesus spoke on the cross. And actually, it's the last one. It's, we see it here in Luke. There's others that are recorded in the other Gospels as well. But there were seven specific things that Jesus said on the cross, and this was the last one. I just want you to kind of make a note there, keep it highlighted, whatever. We're going to come back to that one. Verses 47 through 49. Here's what we find in, in these three verses. We find different responses to what was happening on the cross. And what I want you to see is a lot of us can come to, to the cross. And we all have different backgrounds, right? I mean, I, if you looked at the person next to you, they don't look like you. Thank the Lord, right? 
We all have different backgrounds. We all come to the same cross, and we all have different responses. But I want you to hear me say this. You will have a response to the cross. It's impossible to come to the cross and stay the same. Like, it's impossible for you to come to church today and stay the same. You will leave here different. You'll either be closer to the Lord or you'll be further from the Lord. You cannot stay in the middle. There's no neutral. Everybody say, no neutral. There's no neutral in the kingdom of God, right? And so here at the cross, Jesus breathes his last, and we find the centurion, and he's been a part of killing Jesus, and he says, holy cow, I picked the wrong side, right? This was the, the son of God. And then we've got people who just had gathered to witness and look what was going on. These are the people that we saw in the painting last week that were just there checking it out. These are, these are southern drivers, right, who, like, check out the traffic accident while they're going by and slow everything down. I just want to see what's happening. Oh, is that a foot? What is that over there? Is that a, oh, that was just a deer. Weird. First responders? Whoa. They cause accidents looking at an accident, right? This is crazy. That's what these people were. They were spectators at the cross. But even the spectators, what did they do? They start beating their chest, which basically was like, what have we done? And then we have the women. Those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. All of them had different responses, but you've got to see that there was a response. And then verses 50 through 56 just talks about the burial of Jesus. And here's what I want you to see. I just want you to take note of the care that was given to the burial of Jesus. Like there was precision about taking care of the body. There was preparation about where that body would go, the tomb. It was all very, very intentional. Here's a couple of, th- a couple of ways we know. Joseph says that Joseph was a member of the council. He was a member of the high council. Um, some of us in this room, we're never going to get, we're never going to run for office. Is that fair to say? Um, I, I, because we'll never get voted for, right? Like if I was running for mayor, can I be honest, I'm not winning. People are like, Dude can barely take care of himself. Don't know if he's going to run, run the city, right? I'm not, I'm not voting for Paul. Some people just don't get voted in because, because like, there's just, it's just a level. Like, we, I'm, just, I'm just not sure if I can see with that in that place, right? But people that are, especially Joseph, he's in that place because people are like, he's got it together. We can trust him. He's a good part of society. We're going to put him in a place. He's on the high council. What I want you to see is that this is Joseph. He's not like some loser from Loserville. He's like a guy on the council going to ask for the body. He has the respect of people. And he went and asked for the body. It says that they they took the body down and they, they wrapped it with linen. They put it in a brand new tomb. What I want you to see is that they didn't pull the body off the tomb. That's what we would do, holding the body going, who is supposed to bring the linen? Do you, oh, man. We don't have the linen? Not like they were ready for the body. Do you know that some scholars believe this? Some scholars believe that Joseph and those that were helping him were actually already in the tomb and from the tomb had, had laid out the linen, were watching the crucifixion and waiting for Jesus to die, so that he could go after the body and then pull him off and put him right into that tomb. They were ready is all I'm trying to say. 
You're like, why didn't you say that the first time, right? They were ready. They were ready. They were prepared. This was intentional. The women, it says the women followed closely to see where the body was placed. They would not have forgotten three days later where they followed them to. Why does that matter? Because just like today, people want to discredit the resurrection of Jesus. And we'll talk a lot about that next week. But in this story, what we see is very intentional steps. I've asked for the body. I'm a respected person. I have a new tomb that was just freshly cut. This would be like us building a house and forgetting where it is. Not going to happen. We have women following us to see where the tomb is so that they can make their way back for the, to continue preparing him for burial. What I love here is in an age where women were not valued at all, Luke does a really good job of pointing out that the women were the last ones with Jesus at the cross and the first ones to Jesus in the tomb. One last parallel, and then we'll do some takeaways. After six days, Jesus, God finished the work of creation, right? So back in Genesis, six days he created everything. And when he was finished on the sixth day, he rested on what we now call the Sabbath. And here at the cross, Jesus has worked for six hours on the new creation. And when he's finished, he rested on the Sabbath in the tomb. I don't know if you know this or not, but you're different if you're in Christ. Some of you were different before Christ. Now you're more different in Christ, right? Like we're new creations. Corinthians says that we are new creations. All the old has passed away. The new has come, right? If we're in Christ, we are new. And when he was finished on the cross, working all that out, he rested. Lots of highlights. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to just pick out, there's something we can talk about, but I'm going to talk about one thing that really stood out to me, and it's back in verse 46. And it's this. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And that, that is the thing in this story I did not expect. As I started to study about this passage, I found out that that prayer was a common Jewish bedtime prayer. Prayed with children and their parents every night when they put their kids to bed. Which means that Jesus grew up praying that prayer with his mother and his father. And here he is on the cross praying that simple bedtime prayer, not just at any time, but at the most painful moment of his life, he went back to that prayer. Here's what I want you to get today. God is most faithful when we are most frail. So let me pick that apart just for a second. One, God is always faithful. Everybody say always. He's always faithful. We had about like 30% participation there, right? He's always faithful. Always faithful. But from our perspective, it seems like sometimes he's more faithful than others, right? But he's always faithful. So don't let the words most faithful throw you. I'm just saying that from our perspective, when we are the most frail, I want you to see that he is the most faithful. Jesus saw that on the cross. He's struggling on the cross. He's hurting on the cross. He's human and he's God on the cross. And all that mixed together makes it the worst moment of his life. 
And that simple prayer, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, man, he came right back to what he'd always known. And that is that God will be most faithful even when I am most frail. It's hard for us to think of Jesus as being frail, isn't it? But, like, do some studies on crucifixions. Holy cow. It was rough, right? Like, whipped within an inch of your life, nailed to a cross, losing blood, can barely stand up and breathe, on your, put all the pressure on your feet to breathe. Like, it was a brutal way to be tortured, and it was actually a gift to die. He was most frail there, and he saw that God would be most faithful then. In the worst moment of his life, when he felt the farthest away from God. Listen, the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross, we think of it like, so he's, he said it one saying, and then like hours went by, and second saying, and hours went by. But the truth of the matter is, as he got closer to the end of his life, like four, five, six, and seven came, boom, 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 right? Well, he had just prayed. He had just made this statement moments before he prayed the prayer that we're talking about. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me just set the record straight. I've heard preachers preach that in that moment God turned his back on Jesus because of the sin. And I just want to be really, really clear about something. That's not true. The fact that Jesus was on the cross for our sins proves that God's not running from our sins. But our perception is that he's turned away from us. And what I want you to see is that even his own son on the cross felt like God had abandoned him. Listen, we struggle so much with, with things that go wrong in our lives, don't we? And we're like, the, the smallest things can happen. Last night, we're coming back from Chapel Hill. We went to see Parker. He was producing a show. We, we're going to get back late. And so as we left Chapel Hill, I was like, I need some coffee, right? Because it's a long drive home at like midnight. So we go to McDonald's. Why did we go to McDonald's, right? Like I just wanted an iced coffee. It was $2.02. That's all I wanted, iced coffee. And so we order and we get in line and we wait and we wait. And we, I don't know, it was like two cars ahead of us. Like they just, it was like watching a clown car in reverse with McDonald's food, right? Like they just kept handing food out the window, and they were taking it like bags and cups. It was crazy. I was like, how many people were in that car? And they still weren't moving. They would hand it out and stand there. And then like they'd come out with more food, and they'd stay there. And it was like, there was a car in between us and them. I was like, this is crazy. I just turned to Wendy and said, like, I haven't even paid yet. We just left. But in that moment, I wanted to say, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? You know how much I need coffee right now. I want my family to live and not die, right? My God. Like maybe you thought you were going to get a raise at work and you didn't get it. And we're like, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken Like I just want you to know this. God understands our pain, but I'm not sure that's a prayer we get to take, right? Because Jesus like literally had the world sin on him. And prayed that prayer. My God, where, where are you, God? And Here's what I want you to get. In that moment, most of us, most, not all, because I know some of y'all are, like, perfect. Most of us, if we feel like God turned his back on us, we turn our back on God. Well, I ain't going to move until you change. 
Well, guess what God says? I don't ever change. I didn't change before. I can't change now. There's nothing I can do that will change me because I don't change. It's you. Like, I think sometimes God looks at the church and says, that's a you problem, right? Like, you think I'm gone, but I'm not gone. And, and here's what I want. Oh, I want us to see that Jesus, in the moment when he felt like his father turned his back on him, followed that up with the prayer that we just read. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You won't find a more beautiful prayer that understands my identity with the father and my willingness to trust his plan. Jesus said to his dad, I don't know where you are right now, but you know what? In this moment when I don't know what's going on, I'm going to go back to all the nights that I prayed with my mom. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We're not praying. I mean, we're not preaching about this right now, but can I just encourage some young, young parents in the house? You think praying at night with your kids doesn't change them? Jesus prayed a bedtime prayer on the cross. I mean, that right there. Like, tonight you'll be like, oh, we're going to pray Psalm 31.5 over you. <laughs> Man, keep praying. This is powerful. How is Jesus able to hurt so much and yet trust so much, right? That's the question. So here's two takeaways that I think will help us, and then we'll, we'll close this thing out. First takeaway, look for faithfulness more than fairness. Listen, all of us want things to be fair. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. We all want fairness. But here's the problem. We also want to define fairness. I want it to be fair. Well, what's fair? Whatever is fair for me, right? So if what's fair for me isn't fair for Wendy, then one of us is not going to get what's fair. And so sometimes when we're going through hard things in life, I'm not discounting the fact that we go, God, this isn't fair. He understands that. He allowed his son to say that. But if we focus on what's fair, we'll miss his faithfulness. He's faithful even when he doesn't seem fair. Psalm 51 David has just lost his mind, had an affair with a woman while her husband was fighting in a war, brought her husband back from war so he could try to get her husband to sleep with her so that he would think that her baby was his baby. Is this a soap opera or what, right? And he's like, I'm not going to sleep with my wife while my men are at war. So David had to send him back to war with a special note that he carried back to his commander that said, put him at the front of the line so he'll die. What in the world even? What is crazy, right? And when David repented of that, this is what he wrote. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your, your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And here's the important line. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Do you know the only person who actually can judge is God? He's actually the only one who's fair enough to make a judgment. We define fairness by what's good for us. And if we do that, we will miss how faithful he is in the hard times. Listen, Jesus saw the faithfulness of God more than he saw the unfairness of the crucifixion. That's why he was able to be on the cross and say, I don't know where you are, God, but I still trust you with my life. I still commit my spirit to you. 
Sometimes if we're honest, we can see God's faithfulness a little more clearly looking back, can't we? We get, like, going forward, it's like, eh, I'm not sure I see it. But if you look back, you'll see his faithfulness. Here, here's an example. I'm not going to go into this. Y'all have heard my testimony enough. But when my mom and my brother passed away, right? So Thanksgiving weekend, that Friday night, my mom had a brain aneurysm. And so they, my mom and my dad and my brother Stephen, they would always do the same thing. In the fall on Friday nights, they were always going to be at Albemarle Senior High School watching a football game, right? All the time. And so they went every Friday night when there was a home game. That Friday night was no different. They, and how many of you are, are creatures of habit? Anybody? Like you put the same leg in your pants first every time, right? So like they had a routine, and this was their routine. They would go to the games. At halftime, my mom would leave. She would take Stephen with her, usually. And then my dad would stay, right? Because my dad is like, I don't care if it's a tornado. We're staying until it hits three zeros on the clock, right? I don't know how many of y'all are into sports that much that you would never leave. Gosh, we sat with my grandparents, my dad's parents, of course. We sat early in our marriage, or we dating, I can't remember now, but it was a monsoon. And... Tennessee was killing whoever they were playing. And Wendy's like, when are we leaving? I was like, they don't leave. They will stay until the game's over or Jesus comes, right? My dad was like that. So listen, every Friday night in the fall, they would go to the game. Halftime, my mom and Stephen would leave. But this Friday night, the Friday after Thanksgiving, 2003, my mom stayed. And that's the night that she turned to my dad and said, I love you and I'm sorry, had a brain aneurysm. And we never talked to her again. Now, listen, that's tragic. I know. But in the weeks after that, we're sitting around. And that's kind of like one of those, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me moments? And as the family's talking and recounting, like, the events, somebody suddenly says, wait a second. Why didn't mom go home that night? Well, I'll tell you why. The faithfulness of God. Because if she had gone home that night and taken my brother with her, then he would have been home with basically a dead mother with no way to call my dad, handicapped, panicking, waiting on somebody to come. The faithfulness of God. I want you to hear this. When Jesus was on the cross, in the worst moment, he could still see God's faithfulness. Because he wasn't looking for fairness. And we could have gone all, we could have won awards that year for, for like being treated the most unfairly by life. But in that moment to see the faithfulness of God, say, God, I don't know how, thank you. Like as bad as this is, it could have been so much worse if mom had gone home. Look for his faithfulness more than his fairness. Here's the second takeaway. Look for the Father more than the fix. Instead of looking to God to fix it, Jesus just looked at his Father. And I love that. I love that he started that last prayer with the word Father. It's interesting. When he felt like God turned his back on him, he started the prayer with, my God, my God, right? But when he ends his life, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The relationship carried more weight than the circumstance. Man, and that's what God wants from us. He wants being with the Father to matter more to us than having the Father fix things. 
Some dads are better at fixing stuff. I know that God can fix things. I know that he can, right? So Psalm 34, 18 says that he's near to the brokenhearted. He comes close to the brokenhearted, but he doesn't stop there. It also says that he saves those who are broken in spirit. He saves those whose spirits are crushed. So he's, he is a fixer. I'm not saying God can't fix stuff. I'm not a fixer, right? When I try to fix things in our house, we have to pay somebody to fix the fix. That's how that works, right? We just bypass me. I'm, I bypass the step, right? Just call somebody right away. But God can fix things. But here's what I want you to know. If we're looking for him to fix it, sometimes we miss it. He's our father. Weird way to learn that truth. Way back in the day, I'm youth pastoring at First Assembly. Our kids are small, like maybe two years old, right? And um, we, called them, we called our kids Mr. Smiley and Fuzzy Head because, like, Will always had a smile, and Parker's head was like, his hair was just like, you know. It's like that now, but on purpose, right? But back then, it was just like a troll head. You know, it's crazy. And so I don't know what we were doing. Like, it, we were wrapping up Sunday night church or something, and um, my nephew was watching Parker, you know, su- supposed to be watching Parker. <laughs> and, um, and all of a sudden, and I want, I want to say it was you, Teresa. I think it was you that came around the corner, and she's coming down the hall, and she's carrying my little, my little fuzzy head, Parker, in her, in her hands. And she's got on a white shirt, and he's got fuzzy hair, and there's blood everywhere, right? So I'm kind of like, whoa, <laughs> you know, what's happening right now? And she came all the way down to me, and she kind of brought him to me. And here's what, like, in that moment, I don't know what you would have done, but here's what I did. In that moment, the minute I saw her with my son and blood every, because, you know, the head bleeds like crazy. Blood was going everywhere. And this is exactly what I said in that moment. I said, Parker, dude, what are you thinking, man? We, we said, don't, don't play. Don't, don't run. We, we trusted you to Garrett. Obviously, we got some other conversations to have about that. But, like, if you run into a pole, your head's going to bleed. So don't run into poles, dude. Don't run into poles. Problem solved. Is that what I did? No. I grabbed my son, and he bled all over me. And we got him to the hospital later, and they fixed his head. (laughs) Weak in the knees thinking about it, right? The whole deal. But here's what I learned. Man, when we're hurting, God is way more interested in holding you than healing you. We think, God, fix it. And he's just like, I just want to be a father. We'll fix it. But how about if I just hold you right now? Man, God is more interested in holding us than healing us. Trust me, he can and will heal us. But we're not like on a factory line, like, be healed, be healed, be healed. We're in a relationship. And that's what God wants more than anything. That's what Jesus showed us on the cross, right? Jesus is looking at his dad. And, and I'm just going to, can I paraphrase the, the prayer? I know it says, Father, into your hands I commit your spirit. But here's, here's how I hear it. Dad, I don't like what's happening. And it doesn't seem fair. At times I wonder if you're even still with me. But this I know. And I've known it since I was a boy praying with my parents at bedtime. I can trust you even in this. You're faithful. You're my father, and I'm going to praise you through it all. This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to end singing the song that we sang earlier. I'm going to praise you through it all. Because Jesus did that. That's what he did. I know that he did a lot of powerful things on the cross. But he displayed to all of us 
in the worst circumstances that God is still a faithful father. And he wants relationship with us. As we were praying early this morning, 730 prayer, God brought to my mind the verse that says um, grace to help us in our time of need, right? We can boldly approach the throne to receive grace in our time of need. Because that curtain got ripped, we can boldly approach the throne. And so I looked it up, and I love the way it says it in the message, okay? Here's, here it is in the message, and then we're going to start to sing, sing that chorus. Why don't you do this? Why don't you just close your eyes and just listen to these words, okay? Just listen to these words and ask yourself this question. Do I trust God with my life? Will I trust Him with my life? Even if I'm in a situation that makes no sense, will I trust Him with my life? Do I believe He's a faithful Father even though the circumstance doesn't look that way? And because of what Jesus did on the cross, listen to these words. This is what Hebrews 4, 14 and 16 says in the message. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy. Accept the help. My prayer this morning is that you would see that when we are the most frail, he is the most faithful.